good reason for jumping there from the book of Hebrews over to Leviticus. Certainly Hebrews um, uh, is related, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, definitely connected to uh, Leviticus. And so I'm going to be asking you, if you uh, when, when we, after we had a word of prayer and open our meeting, to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you both rejoicing on the one hand for your grace to us through Jesus Christ our Lord and a recollection of the marvelous things that he has done for us, indeed saved our miserable sinful souls. And yet our heart is heavy at the news in the Middle East, Israel under attack, people dying, bombs bursting. My, my Lord, only you can manage this mess. And so, Father, we ask that whatever your purpose be, that it might be one of mercy as always and justice at the same time. And so, Father, we pray for peace there if that can be achieved. We ask, dear Father, now that you turn with us and uh, turn to us and as we studied uh, these things in the book of Leviticus chapter 1 and in that wonderful book of Hebrews. Bless us together, dear Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 9. I'm going to read this quickly. But all of it is relevant to what we're about to do in the book of Leviticus. What I call the gospel of Leviticus. Isn't that cute? But it's also accurate. It's the gospel presented in a different way. Uh, That is symbolically and figuratively. And it takes place thousands of years before Christ and the gospel, the, the actual fulfillment of that promise, takes place. So I have called it the gospel of Leviticus. And I hope that we'll be able to point that out as we work our way through that book of Leviticus. But for now, we're beginning in Hebrews chapter 9. We studied Hebrews. Now I want to go back to make that connection very strong. Then indeed, verse 1, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary. The first covenant that he speaks of is the law covenant. All of you know about Moses in the mount with God and he gets the Ten Commandments. They are the tablets of the covenant. Remember that. And they went into that box the Ark of the Covenant, in the, temp- in the tabernacle. For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, of which was the lampstand, we showed you a, a thing last week, and I'll give you some, if you don't have it, I'll, I'll give you another copy. The table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That's the first part of the tabernacle. And behind the second veil, there was a... a the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, 
in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and what? The tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these, we, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Guess what? Whoever wrote the book of uh, Hebrews told me I have to go into details. <laughs> and so that's exactly why we're reading these. It has fallen upon us to go into the details of the, of the figures of these things. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit was involved with the design of the tabernacle. He was not indwelling of the believers in the Old Testament, but he was there. And he was ministering in the Old Testament, indicating this, that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Remember last week I challenged you, when was the curtain torn and opened up? And anyone could go into the Holy of Holies. It was symbolic, there it is, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. It served as a temporary flesh-cleansing kind of thing, but it was not a permanent one like the one we have as believing Christians. What's the difference? We have the Holy Spirit indwelling. They did not. Uh, and concerned, those things concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and flesh, fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. He's not talking about the Protestant Reformation. He's talking about uh, the appearance of Jesus Christ and the coming of the gospel. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption one time and one time only. For if the blood and bull, of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience. Notice, now the conscience is involved from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Uh, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, 
a will. There must also be the necessity, the death of a testator, of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Let's leave, let's leave it at that. He is really pounding, uh, that author did about the things in the book of Leviticus. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 1 now. And we're going to begin that uh, process um, today. We're going to try to do that. Spend time in that first chapter. Uh, but I want you to, to make that first connection of a new you remember the new covenant promised in Jeremiah, promised in Ezekiel, and uh, confirmed by the book of Hebrews more than a few times, by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, by, in Galatians, by the Apostle Paul. Uh, a number of places. So the things in Leviticus were serving as a shadow, a figure, a symbol. I have a whole... Uh, book on typology in the Old Testament. I have several, actually, and I just picked up a brand new one. Uh, but, but I'm not using it because it do, uh, doesn't relate directly to Leviticus. But nonetheless, it's important. It is typical. The things that happened here in the book of Leviticus are typical. And they predicted Christ and the greater fulfillment of all of those things. That's really important. That's extremely important about the fulfillment. I'm a big person on fulfillment. My theology is all about fulfillment. I believe that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. We're going to be talking about the law this morning. I'm going to do a little test. No, it's not. I'm a little discussion. If we, th if we talk about the Mosaic law, and I'm going to even give you a clue, it's made up of three components. What are they? Tyler. Moral, civil, ceremonial. The moral part is called what? Ten the Ten Commandments. Tyler, remember this. It's part of the law. I don't want to have to take you to chapter 8 in Hebrews where it says that the first commandment, or excuse me, the first covenant was made obsolete. The Ten Commandments, second part, moral, civil, ceremonial. Now, we're going to be talking about the ceremonial. Who devised that strategy? Who was the first that, well, let me say, who was the person that is generally credited with dividing the law into three parts? 
what Tyler just said. Well, hello. How about Aquinas, a Catholic priest of, of the 13th century? Before that, it was not divided up that way. And there's no reason to do that. It's all part of the law. It is the law. The law that came down from the mount includes the Ten Commandments, all of the uh, civil laws, and all of the ceremonial laws. If you're going to quit the ceremonial, if you're going to quit the moral, then, I mean, excuse me, the uh, civil, why do you hang on to the moral? There's one greater than Moses is here. Hello. I'm only doing what the, the Bible says. The Bible says the first covenant and those two tablets that Moses put in that Ark of the Covenant are the Ten Commandments. And they are in some regard, get this, obsolete. But what did I just say? One greater than Moses is here. There's another law. The Apostle Paul defines it. Galatians. The law of Christ. It's greater than the law of Moses. The law of Moses was, was fault. Had fault. That's what Hebrews says. It had faults. And if it hadn't been faulty, there would be no need for looking for a new one, a second one. And so that's important to understand when we're, when we're talking about the law. I'm going to, my teaching will include, I know, I know it's controversial in some regards and, and uh, everything. You might not be settled in those regards, but this person is. Me, I'm settled in that. The first covenant has been annulled. That word is used as well. Annulled and another place made obsolete. So then what were the Ten Commandments part? We quit doing the civil. We, uh, we're not commanded to do the civil. We're not commanded to do the uh, 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 ceremonial. What about that law? The Ten Commandments. One greater than Moses is here. His law is higher yet. You remember it was Jesus, this guy that kept saying, you have heard that as it's been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I, Jesus Christ, say unto you, if you have looked upon a maiden to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then he went on to say, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. You can't keep the law. There's no way you can keep the law. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all righteousness. We don't have the law. We have 
the Holy Spirit. That was the one thing missing from the old covenant which made it faulty. There was no power to complete it, to adhere to it. It could not be. But we are granted the Holy Spirit of God. Leviticus chapter 1. Did I mention uh, Dan Sim? Is it Dan Sim? Uh, Did I mention that to the class? He's a missionary in Lebanon. There have been attacks by Israel upon Hezbollah in southern uh, Lebanon. I want you to remember him. This is a time out for a moment. I want you to remember him in prayer. His family lives there in in southern Lebanon, central southern Lebanon, and so forth. Uh, Please be in prayer for that this morning. They're in the heat of battle over there, and uh, we have... uh, Uh, We have precious souls in that area. Uh, Now, back to Leviticus. Now the Lord called to Moses. That's going to be repeated a number of times in the book of Leviticus, verse 1. And spoke to him from the tabernacle. First, he spoke to him in the mountain. He gave him the Ten Commandments, and he brought the Ten Commandments down. And when he saw the people worshiping a calf, what did he do with those first tablets? He threw them to the ground, and they were smashed. Does it say that he picked them up and pieced them back together? No, there was a second set. But I want you to consider in light of the things that I just said, the symbolism of this uh, uh, whole thing, the elements of the law, I want you to think and to reflect on what that taught. Those two tablets that were smashed to smithereens by Moses. It's important that we know these things. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering to the, of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. Stop. Another little item that I mentioned to you earlier. <laughs> I went to the YouTube, and I kicked up there. Butchering of a calf. <laughs> I went to there and spent a full hour watching those guys skin, gut, clean, and dismember a calf that had died in the field. It was weighed about 200 pounds or something like that. It wasn't small. It wasn't a little bitty thing. In preparation for this, I figured that I need to take a look at that kind of thing. What did it mean? These priests are going to do the same thing. They're going to prepare this this animal for an offering. By the way, offerings offerings were not new. The issue of offerings of of things to the Lord dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Cain and Abel brought things to the Lord. Uh, By the way, When you pray, you bring things to God. So next time you pray, get serious. You're in the presence of a holy God. 
Repent if you need to. You bring something to Christ and to the Lord. You are surrendering your entire self to God. Speak to the children. When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Are there any other males without blemish? Who would that be? Rose. (laughs) Amen. Everybody knows that. Um, Christ is the only sinless thing. The symbol here was the sinlessness of the sacrifice. That's why I have called this the gospel of Leviticus. It's so true, isn't it? Look, we already see Jesus Christ. If your eyes are open, if your spiritual eyes are open, there he is. It's Jesus Christ that these things are about. A male without blemish. blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. You remember the diagram that I gave you? I have some more in case you need them. And after the lesson, you can pick one up if you do. It's a rectangular terra. Uh, what do you call it, structure with curtains around the outside. And in, uh, there's a gate on the east side. And uh, that's where they received the worshipers. The priesthood did. Uh, the, uh, they would meet that person. And that's what we're talking about. They're at the gate of that thing. It, uh, they shall meet at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand, who's he, the worshiper, shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. Hello, get a picture of that. It's a calf, for instance. And he puts his hand on the head of that burnt offering, which means he identifies with it and it is his offering. And, he, and it will be accepted on his behalf to what? Make atonement for him. So we're talking about atonement. This guy has sinned. He needs to be atoned to God. He needs a sacrifice that is a male without blemish. Is this all coming to? We see this all going on. I believe this is the gospel of Leviticus. Goodness. Uh, it will, then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf uh, to make atonement for him. He, the worshiper, shall kill the bull before the Lord. Yeah, at the gate. Slash his throat. This is gory stuff, guys. So was the cross of Calvary. Don't you forget it. One of my difficulties as a Christian is being to be brought to a full understanding of the agonies that my Lord had to endure on that cross. It was merciful to kill him uh, in in the instance of the bull. 
He shall kill that bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood of the bull. There'd be a lot of blood. And sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Just inside the door, the first piece of worship structure that you see is a, an altar on which uh, sacrifices are burned. And it's just inside. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, uh, and they shall bring it uh, and sprinkle the blood all around by the door of the tabernacle at the altar, and he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. That's what I watched on TV. It's a rather elaborate process, but absolutely amazing of the skillful use of the knife uh, that these people on YouTube use. It was just amazing to watch. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. You can imagine that there are stacks of wood all around, probably collected from the wilderness there. There, were low, uh, there was brush and wood and, and so forth there in the desert, and it wasn't just sand. And uh, you can imagine there are plentiful supply of, of wood. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. There's a laver just behind that. Laver meaning that it was full of water. It's fairly large. It probably had hundreds of gallons of water in it. And they used that to wash the uh, entrails and the legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on, on the altar as a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. How wonderful. Now, does the Lord need food? No. Come on, he's eternal. What does sweet aroma mean? It's an acceptable worship. It's sweet unto the Lord, just as your prayers are. If you come to God ready to repent of your sins and to wipe all that stuff away, he will wipe it all away. And to pray unto God, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. He loves to hear your prayers. He may not answer all of them because you don't know exactly the Apostle Paul's how to pray, do you? No, I know I don't. I know many times, uh, uh, where did I just read about the blessedness of the, uh, of the request, prayer request, uh, the blessedness of God to deny our request. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of um, interesting concept, isn't it? That God shows mercy by not giving us <laughs> because we don't know how to pray always. I know that's true with me. And so, it is a sweet aroma uh, to the Lord. So that is the, is the um, this offering by fire. It is, uh, and it is burnt completely. 
No meat is left over and is passed out. That comes elsewhere. But none is left over, not here, and not in this offering, the burnt offering. It's burnt. 100% burnt. What do you think that symbolizes? Pardon me? I'm sorry, I'm not registering. Sin is gone gone completely. Burnt. Gone. Up in smoke. (laughs) What a gorgeous message. My sin is gone. It also speaks to Surrendering all, if you, if you put it in modern day terms. When you come before the Lord with an offering, you surrender everything. Everything. It is a sweet aroma to the Lord. So, your, your homework assignment is to go watch on YouTube the butchering of a calf or maybe a deer or something like that and to kind of get a picture of what those priests were doing in that front court of the, of the, te- of the tabernacle and how they're, what they're putting on that uh, altar. If his offering, verse 10, is of the flocks, of the sheep or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring them, What? A male without blemish from the flock. There it is again. Then he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. It's the same as the previous one. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire Upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, oh, oh. Then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. Anybody want to take a stab at how those birds got into here? Why are they allowing birds? Money. Not everybody could afford to come in. Remember, they're in, they were uh, a year at the foot of Mount Sinai. And getting these instructions. They've been in the, they've been in the wilderness for a long time. And uh, uh, they, don't, they, they don't run out and, and have brand new stock, livestock and stuff. They breed them probably. So the, the Andruses, you know. And so uh, there's some way to replenish that supply. But not everybody has those things. The poor you see that played out in the life of Jesus Christ who was with us and how he received the poor that didn't have the kind of things that the well-to-do had. 
And so that's the birds. But note this. Then uh, he shall bring the offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place of ashes. Trash. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. What? All of a sudden we have this, and before the animal was killed and and then cut up and put on the fire, and here, it's not cut up, it's too small. And it's for the poor people. Probably a goodly portion of people brought those birds and not calves and the like or sheep. So there it is, the burnt offering. We're going to be uh, studying five different kinds of offerings in the uh, uh, book of Leviticus. And each time we're going to kind of uh, make a connection one with the other so that we kind of, to the best of our ability, weave them together in a total picture of God and his worshipers. That's us. We are his worshipers. We are the ones bringing sacrifices. These are symbols and types and shadows of what we uh, experience as reality. We don't have to go before some earthly altar. There's one in heaven in a new and more blessed and holy temple in heaven. And we go before the king of heaven, Jesus Christ, and he receives our prayers. No need to sprinkle blood there because it's already done. The last sacrifice and the only one that counted for eternity, Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't this marvelous? I think it's marvelous myself. Because I, 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 you guys know I do the choral thing, and these people said, uh, uh, these people say, quit talking about that strange nonsense. They don't use the word nonsense. Um, they use foul, vile language, you know, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they just cannot understand this. It's so much corniness to them. It's just illogical and all those things. But to us, it's a shadow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. Direct connection. Leviticus 1 and Luke 1. How do you like that? My goodness. Uh, This is just marvelous stuff. And uh, uh, the first time that I really realized that I was in seminary at the time, okay? 
When I went to seminary, I was not a very learned person, all right? (laughs) Uh, I'd only been a Christian for a few years, and I didn't know many of the details of what was in the Bible. And then we were assigned a study of Leviticus. What? And I said, that's going to be like numbers. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to be bored to tears reading about this stuff. Until the professor told me what it was about. All of a sudden, the depths of my faith broadened, went deeper. And he made a connection between Leviticus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm doing the same thing by preaching and teaching the gospel of Leviticus. That's exactly what it is but in figures, in types, and shadows. But it's the same thing. It's about that gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one sacrifice, amen? Jesus Christ, our Lord. You didn't have anything to do. It's interesting. You didn't offer Jesus Christ at the gate of the temple, did you? Wait a minute. I finish on this note. His father did. His father. God the Father offered God the Son as a sacrifice for you. Wow. That is so profound that I just kind of tremble inside. Just speaking it. That the God of the universe offered his dear son, who was without blemish, not dying for his own sins, dying for mine and yours. Wow. What a shadow, what a type these things are, but what a reality Jesus Christ is. He is our God. He is our sacrifice. My, my. I, uh, it makes me joyful just to teach it again, once again. It makes it a joy to experience these things in the book of Leviticus. It gets deeper yet in the next chapters, but we'll wait until next week to do that. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice Our hearts are gladdened when we read it Uh, from the book of Leviticus all the way back, not quite 4,000 years, but a long, long time ago, when you told Israel and then us through these writings that you had intended to bring Jesus into the world, that he might be a sacrifice for our sins. It all sounds brand new to me. And so, Father, we thank you for these lovely scriptures. And we ask that you help us to understand them, clarify in our minds the things that we are reading and the rejoicing that we should have in Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of every single type here, every single shadow, every single figure. Jesus Christ, 
He is our all in all. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.